All right. Latest episode of the Borderlands podcast coming at you. Uh, the Borderlands podcast, Enlightenment from the Fringe, is uh, brought to you by, uh, as always, by the Borderland family of businesses. Uh, today's guest is my brother, Sam. He's been a um, repeat guest. He's a good guy to talk to. Uh, today we delve into uh, some of the, a bit of the podcast creative process, some of the hurdles and uh, barriers that we've had to overcome, uh, some of the thought processes, processes. Um, then we try to get into uh, what COVID's done to our lives. I know we've touched on this in a podcast or two in the past, but we uh, we we begin with how COVID has changed our lives. This discussion takes um, kind of a unique turn, though. I, I hope you listen all the way through. Um, Sam um, tells a little bit more about himself than he tends to uh, put out there to people. And um, I encourage you to listen to his story and it, not so much um, what's happened to him or what he's been through, but how it's affecting uh, his family going forward. Um, I'll sprinkle a little bit of my backstory in there as it relates. Uh, and then, and then we do wrap things up, uh, talking a bit more about, um, how COVID has changed, um, what we do on a day to day basis. But as always, I hope you enjoy, uh, as always, I thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is episode number 11 of the Borderlands podcast featuring my brother, Sam Denning. Welcome to the Borderlands podcast, Enlightenment from the Fringe. This is your host, Denrock. This is episode number 11. We've finally gone over 10 episodes. Got another repeat guest here, uh, Brother Sam. And we're, we don't actually have a script. We don't have a topic. Just decided it was time yeah, to a, cast. A rainy buddy. day. Yeah, so. rainy afternoon. We didn't even have to wait till after hours. It's uh, like midday on a... On a weekday, I was on call at the hospital last night and was fortunate to have today off. Uh, so, Sam, I don't. Both of us have been pretty anemic on the uh, podcast. I know you know me. I'm. I've been a little bit afraid to. I've gotten too opinionated on mine, and I'm a little bit afraid to throw out too much of my opinion. So I've kind of been. Yeah, um, you know, we. You have to decide like all in. Where are you? Yeah. Where are you taking the podcast? And right. I think the safest. I mean, I hate to admit this because I feel like we all should feel uh, free and safe to express our opinions, our views, right? But um, I think but the, that's the not safest the thing to talk about is non-political, right? Non-social stuff. So um, I try. You know, that's why I've been, I've still been trying to figure out um, what 
to talk about. I have tons and tons and tons of stuff that I could talk about that I think people would enjoy listening to and would be just about my own life in general. But even those sort of subjects are, they come with risks, uh, so to speak for me. So I also had started that property podcast and it's kind of fell flat because I just can't find my own time to get out. You know, by the time our kids go to bed, I end up going to bed. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, the, the, so podcast is somewhat time consuming. Obviously, there's the time it takes to record it. And I mean, there's no workaround for that. If you're going to record for two hours or three hours or one hour or whatever, like you've got to commit that amount of time. Um, you know, some people do post-production stuff. Uh, some people do pre-production. <laughs> I mean, there's some setup. So I would argue um, for, you know, my process of podcasting, I add maybe 20 to 30 minutes to every podcast in, in the way of post-production and then actually up, just uploading and creating the episode on the website. So yeah, so say we're going to, yeah, so like say we're going to talk for two hours. Um, then it becomes two and a half hours getting it up, uploaded and everything. Um, that's, I mean, that's a, a big time commitment, right? Yeah, and I would argue um, or just say, because my property podcast is a good example. It's one, and, and you had pointed it out about my original one, The Rift, where I would, was doing monologues. That takes in even, because the property one is monologue, basically. It's just me telling my story. It takes even more time because you really need to think that through, write it out, talk it through. You know, I have a lot of respect for these people on radio that it sounds like they're flying by the cuff and maybe a lot of them are, but I would venture to say that there's a lot of thought, you know, and that, and that's where it kills me and maybe it kills you too. But I, I have the kind of job, especially right now where I'm, I'm cutting a lot of lawns where I, you know, everybody that mows their own lawn, they, a lot of people do enjoy it because when they're out there, they think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a release, mm-hmm. it's a physical activity and you, it kind of releases your mind. Am I, am yeah, I right? And you do some wool gathering. Yes. You do I some like wool gathering, yeah. you, you know, you collect your thoughts. Well, I get to do that for six to eight hours every day. And I, I've <laughs> been able to formulate a lot of cool ideas to do for podcasting, but I can never get pen to paper because the second that I pull my trailer in the garage and get out, my children are waiting for me in the garage, literally. And then I'm just like, it all just goes to hell yeah so we're doing these podcasts as a hobby we're not we haven't monetized them although i'm, I'm certain we could monetize them we're not gonna <clears throat> we're not gonna make money <laughs> we're not we're uh, not planning on living off of yeah, it yeah we can't earn a living off of our podcast clearly um but no you so you talked about these casters that uh, do this for a living literally uh that's how you have to look at them. Like they're not doing much else in their lives and they do have the time to research. They have the time to script their stuff. Um, you know, I, I think most of them that you hear out there, you know, especially the guys we're listening to, um, they're effectively live podcasting. I don't think there's a lot of editing. I don't think there's a lot of like, right. Uh, Oh wait, back up. I misspoke. I think that it's just recorded in real time. And then uh, some, maybe a little post production, putting commercials and stuff in there. Um, but no, I think they talk off the cuff and they, it, with some notes that they took the night before, probably because they they can do that. They can dedicate, mm-hmm. so they're going to record for a couple hours, and then they can dedicate the rest of their eight hour or ten hour or twelve hour day towards research 
in writing a script or at least writing an outline or some notes for the next right. the next episode. And uh, uh, you know that's difficult for us. I think anytime that I have a person over for an interview. I've I've got a general idea of where I want to take the interview. Maybe not so much today because this is kind of spontaneous. But um, yeah, I think you're right. Whenever you mention it with the monologue, you've got to have some notes. You, you need to have an outline, or else you're just going to sit there and blab and and speak a bunch of gibberish, and um, it's hard to, to to reel all that in and, and have you know cohesive <laughs> and, and actually make and, it linear thought. Yeah, to make yeah. it so somebody actually wants to hear it. Because I've I've some of mine I've read and I've tried to make it sound like I'm not reading it. You know, there there is it's a it's an art, and y- you do get better. Uh, you know, I think as I listen to yours, you've got the voice for this. I've been told that I have a good voice for this, and I think <laughs> well. That, We've got decent voices, I think, because we have that male voice, um, and I know that's probably a no-no to even talk about this nowadays. But <laughs> I think it's a it's a pleasing voice. Mine's mine's maybe a little more monotone than the average person. But anyways, but what a lot of people don't realize is this little uh, road uh, mixing board we have here and the technology that it has in it. It actually accentuates a person's voice big time. Did you know that? I mean, yes. Have you looked yes. into the technology and uh, all the tuning and stuff that's built into this? Like, we don't even have to turn any dials. You you set it for the vocal setting, and it brings out the that bass. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it takes away some of the the lisp and the, the spit sounds that a person well, makes. I, it, and uh, this is well, yeah, it cleans it up. Like we were saying before, you you know hit the record button. You know, and, and I was talking about. Uh, my crappy Boone, you know, thing. <laughs> but but anyway, you know, you get what you pay for. And yeah. and this this Rodecaster Pro, you know, here's a shameless plug for this, but um, it's definitely worth the money. It's expensive for a home sort of podcasting thing. It's probably one of the top of the line things for you know do it at home yourself. I don't know how. I think is. so. Yeah, but it's definitely a beast. Yeah, I, I mean it really, and I still don't know the ins and outs of everything. Some of the stuff you pointed out to me, I had seen, but you know, of course, I haven't done or needed to, to use a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, mine has a sticky button. I think I showed you where one of the things. Yeah, play, it, it, it it was out Would of the you box. Do spill something on it? No, it was out of the box. <laughs> it was yeah, you know, it was out of the box like that. It won't stop recording that noise but you know hmm. i've fielded and so have you we've called people and and been able to take uh, just the, the fact that you know we can take people's iphone or android call you know just a cell phone call and talk to them and even their yes. voices sound pretty good through this thing yeah and that's what i found I, I think i only did that once with joe um and i think part of what helped me is uh a, yes a it's a bluetooth interface to this mixer board so it's very clean you know, there's no cabling or anything. And second of all, I used um, what we actually did was uh, FaceTime audio. So it's a, a Wi-Fi based call. It's not, um, you know, cellular call. So I think it, that cleaned it up some too. But um, no, this uh, this mixer board, what I found is uh, it has settings specific to the microphone that you're using. And most specific to this, this little microphone I have, I have this Rode uh, nt one I think it's called. Um, and I just tell the mixer that, yeah, I just plug this mic into it and it 
has optimal settings for it for vocals yeah. or for you know I could be strumming a guitar in front of it or playing a trumpet or trombone or you know whatever and you just set the the settings for vocal or whatever instrument and um, this thing it this this particular microphone just meshes with this uh, this other product um so yeah and well, nice. if you happen to draw my name for christmas gifts this year <laughs> i don't know what the price tag is on the ma- that microphone but you can tell it takes you know we've got you've got a lot of these things that take the vibration out of your voice mm-hmm, and stuff like mm-hmm. that and it's really it's really there's a lot to this to make people sound better yeah. more appealing um but uh, I'm, I, I enjoy doing this. It's unfortunate that both you and I really, I, you know, I started out gangbusters. Um, and, you know. Yeah, you did. You beat me to the punch. Like, I think, I, I, you will have to admit, I think I came up with a podcast idea first. Oh, absolutely. You came up with the equipment idea first. I think you, you were the, the person that mentioned this particular product. And I said, wow, that's the one I want to buy. And I got you wound up buying it first. Uh, how I, we were going to like go and have these on it, right? Yeah. Well, how I bought my, <laughs> mine was amazing. I got to tell this story. So I had, a, I had a guy that rented from one of my Marshall, um, apartments. He was a Marshall student, international Chinese guy, um, who was going to Penn state. He was transferring to Penn state and, um, I, I, he wanted me to drive him to Penn state and and take him and all this stuff and i just said hey you know nick how about as payment for that which is this way over payment i said <laughs> get me this uh roadcaster pro setup and he said sure yeah he's well the uh what is the what is the currency in in china the the dong or something. The yawn. Or the, the dick. Yawn. It's Y-U-A-N. Okay. They refer to it as renminbi, RMB. Oh, that's right. No, okay. Yeah. I read about that. So well, the only comment I was going to make there, um, I was joking about <laughs> the, the dong, dong, but I think there is a currency, the dong. Maybe it's the Vietnamese dong or something, but uh, probably the exchange <laughs> rate between the uh, the Chinese currency and the dollar is probably off the charts. And he's probably only spending $50. No, the sad thing is it's the other way around. But, oh, really? Yeah, we're about to start to tra- – our money's going to be referred to as the dong here pretty soon, I think. <laughs> I think ours is about to take a dump. That's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where we flip to the commercial about buying gold. Yeah, right. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Um, well, I want to on that – on that note, I want to talk a little bit. This is a change of subjects here. I want to get into a little bit of what's been going on in my life for any. May I stop you there? I'm going to stop you there for a second. Um, so I did um, actually just as we're talking here, I came up with a theme maybe for uh, this podcast. Sure. And uh, I'm going to have to give a shout out to one of the listeners. Uh, it's a guy I work with at the CAMC General Division. His name's Craig Hot. Um, he apparently is a. Um, regular listener um i have no way to trace that but he just tells me that and um we were working together one night this is probably a couple months ago now he said uh, you should do a podcast to talk about what you're doing differently now with covid what you're doing that you wouldn't have been doing and what you're not doing that you would have been doing and maybe this is a good segue into what you're about to bring up so covid um has uh, given us the COVID hobbies, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people talk about I picked up this during COVID? Like, and I'll I have several 
I don't know, maybe two or three COVID hobbies in air quotes that I would cite. Um, but I think you're about to talk to us about a COVID hobby or you know something you might not have picked up unless yeah, COVID well, was a thing. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I've gotten into, I do, my wife and I do a lot of recording anyway. So I'm going to go through a little bit of a story here and you can interject it obviously at any time. But mm-hmm. um, I've been recording lots of videos of interesting random stuff and I had started a YouTube channel and was you want to tell us what is the what's your username i mean we can plug ourselves yeah my my youtube channel is just my name sam denning d-e-n-n-i-n-g and there is no picture it's just a green circle with an s maybe i ought to change that um and and originally i was just putting walkthrough videos and aerial videos because i have a drone of my rental property i thought this would be good to during covid back in 2020 to you know be able to just shoot somebody a link and say, Hey, here, I don't even need to do a FaceTime thing. You can just watch this video. Mm-hmm. And that actually was a good, very good idea. And then I can keep those videos. I can actually catalog them and they're, they're good. They were good for the time and they're going to be good for the future. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I also got in, into just putting just random things in my life on there. And one of them, and this is kind of going to go down a rabbit hole was about raccoons that I, <laughs> a, a, a raccoon that I had found in my trash can. And I posted it on there last summer. And, you know, I, every time I posted, you know, a video, I usually send it out to our brothers and stuff. And so I, I usually get, you know, 10 views, <laughs> you know, um, I had one where my son Owen was, uh, you know, seeing a raccoon through the screen on our window and he sounded cute. And that one got like 500 views, you know, and I hate, I, I'm one of those people that hates people that do stuff just for attention, but then you, it becomes a game to me. Hey, can I get more? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, uh, it's competition sort of thing here. Well, I didn't do anything different. And then somehow this summer, the algorithm, I don't, you know, this sounds so conspiracy theorist, but the algorithm changed, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody was, my videos of the raccoons that had fallen in my trash can was popping up on the sidebar of other people that were watching raccoon videos. Yeah. And I went from like on my, my side of the screen on YouTube studio, it would say that, I, you know, every day I was getting 15 views every, or not every day, every 48 hours, like 15 views. And that was a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, out of nowhere, it's going up, it goes up to a hundred every 48 hours and then 200 and then a thousand and then 2000 every, every two days. That's crazy, dude. And it's still up there and I'm getting random people from all over the world commenting on this, you know, letting this raccoon out of this trash can. <laughs> and, um, so I noticed that there is a niche for cute. And I knew this about cat videos, but there's a niche out there for like cute, animals that like wildlife yeah that aren't that common so i kind of go out of my way now if i see something to to take a video of it okay well when i got into doing all that um a buddy of mine said hey you need to start watching these videos on um backyard foundries and at home foundries for smelting metals Mm -hmm. and it's pretty cool well same thing with the podcasting thing and this is all due to covid you know i was not i would have never done this so i start watching it and it's really pretty fascinating and where i've you know ripped out and gutted a bunch of apartments i have tons of old useless copper pipes that i usually take down to tailors here in huntington and get Mm -hmm. whatever the going rate is for copper Mm -hmm. and um there's these 
dudes and I'm sure women too, but online that do some really good content on melting down some (laughs) copper and, you know, pouring this out of these graphite crucibles into a, um, you know, ingot molds and making pure copper bars Mm -hmm. and stamping them. So I've about three weeks ago, I ordered up a, a little furnace. I bought one that was pretty cheap and small because I, I intend to on my YouTube channel, document my progression in learning how to do this and i want to make my own that's a little bit bigger Mm -hmm. um but i've poured now six copper ingots that weigh uh four and a half pounds a piece and if you go to my sam denning channel you can watch how i did it and don't mind my children screaming in the background um (laughs) they they are safe but it's been pretty it's been a learning experience you know i've wasted a bunch of propane uh and then now i've gotten it down i'm not using quite as much takes a little while to get the temperature of the crucible up to over 2000 degrees, which is what you need to melt copper. But I've just taken a couple of pipes and I've already made six, four and a half pound ingots and mm-hmm. those suckers sell and I'm not making it up. I sold one. I started, I, I noticed online that people were listing them on Etsy and things like that for $120 for a two kilogram <clears throat> copper ingot. Well, so I put one of them on eBay and just started bidding. I didn't set a reserve. I don't care. This was copper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's not like I have any money in this other than the the gas and the foundry and stuff. Yeah, It bid up to almost 75 bucks. Is that more than you're going to get uh, oh, sc- scrapping it? I think because there's different levels of scrap, right? Yeah. You know, if you take clean copper, that's the best payment you're going to get and i think if you take clean copper which would be like stripping your wires all the yeah. way down to the pure copper you, i think they pay you 350 a pound okay. oh so you're killing it i'm then. killing it if you're selling what'd you say a, a two kilogram so like a four four and a half four pound, point four pound uh bar for what'd you say 75 70, bucks oh no then you're killing the Minus local the scrap shipping, price like, let's say 70 bucks right yeah and um you know, I was never going to put that much time into it. It was not going to be considered clean anyway. So had I taken it in the form I had it originally, which was just copper pipes with solder on it and the joints, that's not clean copper. Mm, that's, that's right. Considered, yeah. So that one's like 225 a pound. Mm-hmm. It makes it, and I've got enough to make probably 15 or 20 more ingots. And, wow. and not only that, it's fun. Uh-huh. I can stack them yeah. up. It's almost like a, it's a little hobby. So yeah. yeah, it's clearly not a money making thing. Um, you know, that's what I tell people about the, this woodworking hobby that I'm trying desperately to get into. Um, there's no way that I can profit from it, but I might be able to offset the cost of the hobby. Of the equipment, at, at yes. Day. Yeah. Um, then I, I imagine that's the same thing you're looking at, too, is you, you know, you're not going to. The, you're not gonna have the basis for a, a profitable business here but yeah you can pay for some of the uh little toys right. that you've you've acquired for this well like with you your children will inherit a bunch of big pile of wood <laughs> and my my kids will inherit a bunch of copper and aluminum ingots piled in a corner um and if they're amazing. lucky they'll probably just acquire a bunch of empty propane tanks for <laughs> well you would give me the idea, and I thought of it too, but of taking uh, like a stamp. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's what we, or like an engraver or something. I don't know what you'd go. I think it's a stamp. I think I would just call it a stamp. Yeah, yeah and stamping, you know, CU uh, Denning Foundry or something like that. Yeah, so that I've, would be I've, cool. I've posted two videos on my channel, the, the most recent one. So I didn't make it very far. Um, the second one, the Crucible, it got so hot 
that the crucible broke. I saw that. And part of it was a mixture, and I'm learning, it was a mixture of, um, it was only made for five kilograms. It, it was advertised as a mm. five kilogram mm-hmm. crucible. And I had enough to pour two ingots and I had some left over. So I think my ingot molds were two kilograms. I think it was pushing five kilograms. So it had some weight to it. Mm-hmm. And it was uber, uber. If you watch the videos, that sucker was glowing. Yeah. And when I went to grab it with my really, really shitty, so like everything that came with this thing is garbage. Okay. So like, it's, it's lucky that I'm alive and I did, you know, I'm, I'm, my brothers will tell you this too. I'm Mr. Crocs. I wear Crocs doing everything. That's what I should call my channel. How to in Crocs. Well, I don't know that. Like if you're going to drop molten copper yeah, what does it matter? on your foot, that's what I've told my friends. What does it matter if you're wearing tennis shoes or crocs or even like steel toed <laughs> stuff like kill you still like, melt through it yeah um, it, it'll go around the steel toe and then pour in the f- front side of it yeah and, right but anyway it, it 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 didn't it didn't survive it poured <laughs> two ingots and cracked and everything and i you know so well i was gonna tell you like so i watched that video and it looks like to me the way that you pick it up with your tongs or whatever i think you need a different instrument to pick it to grasp uh, your crucible with I've seen people that have like these uh, tongs where the, the the ends of it are kind of like a, a circular shape so that it um, encompasses the whole crucible and mm-hmm. lifts it out. You were picking it up by pinching, you know, just like straight tongs on the, the edge of it. And so that's going to be, I mean, think about it. That's probably the most brittle part of it. Yep. And, and, that and to get enough, you know, to, to be able to grip it enough that you can lift that much weight up, you got to press hard. Mm-hmm. And the thing's made of graphite, yeah. and it's super hot, just like you said. I mean, they were just, they're just cheap tongs. They're made mm-hmm. to pick it up like that and then to set it down and then turn it on its side. The ones you've seen that I've seen almost look like a, a, a an open-ended ladle, you know? Where yeah. It's, it's, you know, spherical kind of like. And then the, the graphite crucible obviously is like a cone-shaped, and it gets larger as it goes up so you mm-hmm. could like stick it in at the bottom and then pull it up and it'll catch on that's right them. yeah yeah i mean there's pr- pretty cool stuff i mean for those of you out there that may be interested it's it's pretty daggone fascinating <laughs> i mean you can melt this you can melt copper and brass and obviously gold silver and all that i mean who has enough of that stuff to melt down right but yeah um you can do it all kinds of different ways through like induction with electricity mm-hmm. um propane natural gas i mean there's some idiots on youtube but they are like uh brilliant um you know idiots or what, what, what did they like fragile geniuses or something what did, what did they used to refer to trump as like a uh, unstable genius or something like that <laughs> like so you, so you see these guys out there running gas burners for their yeah. foundries with a air compressor hose yeah and then blowing the blowing the flame with a with a shop back in reverse mm-hmm. and it's like oh my god and then they're melting oh yeah they're, i'm sure there's all kinds of uh methods that people created uh just to optimize their little little teeny shop setting um but that's my big my big hobby here recently that's been a covid hobby yeah so uh one thing that's come out of covid is that people picked up hobbies and so we're so far removed from the initial covid uh lockdown and shutdown scenario that um you know it's it's weird to kind of reflect on these hobbies but the hobbies clearly came up because there was a period of time where nobody could even go and do anything right you had to come up with stuff to do at home to occupy your own time i think um you know Craig Hott 
at work, he's probably, you know, when he, he brings up, you know, do an episode about COVID, what you're doing, what you're not doing anymore. I probably relates more to like right now uh, with the COVID situation. Like what, what's new in uh, society and in, you know, one's everyday life. Like what are we having to deal with uh, that we probably never imagined we would deal with? And, and I think one of the obvious things is, um, the uh, still there's a concept of social distancing going on, not as prevalent as it was before, but still there's, uh, there's this lingering social distancing. I, I think people are hesitant to get near one another in the general public. Um, you know, there, there's probably not as many people riding the bus as there were, there's probably more utilization of Uber than there ever was before. Um, you know, obviously we've we've come back more or less to uh, airline transit. I, I have no idea what the uh, rail transit looks like. I would guess that it's probably back uh, close to what it used to be. Um, but no, I feel like there's still some social distancing stuff. I mean, hell, you still see, I guess it, we might call it one of the vestiges of uh, COVID is you know, nowadays when you go into a business, you see the damn stripes on the floor or the X's on the floor or the big circle dots that say, you know, please wait here in line. And a huge glass divider. Yeah. And I think like when I look at this, I always laughed. I said, I was always doing social distancing. Like, you know, I'm waiting in line at the grocery store. Like I never got right up on the person in front of me. I always gave him space, but here we are now. We're actually prescribing a six foot interval between people. Um, you go in the hospital in the, the waiting area in the hospital and you see uh, big X's on some of the seats. You know, they say, don't sit here because we need this much space between people waiting yeah, in the, same, in the same lobby thing in restaurants with booths. That yeah. Are closed down. Um, that's craziness. Um, the masks for God's sake, like, I mean, I remember pre COVID, there were some weirdos that wore masks out there. I think, um, a lot of them were, um, from the continent of Asia. And I, I probably sound racist when I say this, but I think the mask wearing was already commonplace in countries like China. Um, maybe in Japan, I don't know, but I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, because in China they'd had a lot of those. Well, they, I think um, they have smog issues in China, like yeah. major but, smog. But they issues. did. I mean, they had their major. I don't know. They had an the, epidemic or a pandemic, but they they've had their things for. They the last had the couple big. Decades. Uh, well, they've had the. the they had a flu. big time a, avian flu. Yeah, swine flu. Yeah, but uh, so anyways, I, you know, there were some people already wearing masks, but now the masks are everywhere, and then, and then they've become controversial. Um, you know, I think, I know I had, uh, one, one podcast previous, I think I talked to Chris Reese about the mask wearing and I said, well, it's harmless. I mean, why can't you do it? It's no big deal. And I still stand by that. I mean, it doesn't hurt anyone to put a mask on, but now I think it's becoming a little less and less socially acceptable to be wearing a mask out, you know? And of course we all laugh at the people who are wearing a mask while they're driving their cars and, uh, right, uh, well, wearing a mask in their own home, yeah, you, you know, whatever. You look in the car and it's somebody driving by themselves and they got a mask on. But no, masks are prevalent now, and that's something that 
I don't think any of us ever saw coming uh, in the United States. And I think that's kind of sad because the way I look at that is that speaks to like a like a Mad Max type of scenario where you've had uh, nuclear weapons detonated all over the world and the air is actually toxic to breathe. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the air right now is not toxic. There's just some germs flying around. And and we don't even know whether the mask protects us against those. But, <laughs> yeah. but no, doesn't it give you the impression that, like, it, with all the people wearing masks, like, you're thinking, gosh, that the air must be toxic around. Yeah, I I don't want to delve too much into this cause I, it, because it has become it's so issue. divided. It's, it's, uh, but I think, you know, so if, polarized. if someone yeah. asks me to wear a mask, I'm not, and, and, and everybody knows people like this. I'm not the guy that's going to sit there and get into a big ass argument with you about you telling me to wear a mask. Okay, I'll wear a mask. I have issues when it, I, and I have young children, year and a half and four years old. I think it's absurd to ask them to wear masks in school. I think it does more harm than good. And I don't need to get into why. I just think it does. I think, well, I will get into why a little bit. I think my son, my oldest son, and and my youngest son, now they won't really require him because he's too young, but he's not in school either because he's too young. Um, But it's important that he see the emotions in people's faces and, and, and that he sees, you know, how to form words. My son is in speech. You know, he'll listen to this in 20 years and be mad at me for bringing that up. But like he, it, the reality is it's more important for him to see the interactions and the facial expressions than it is that he might get COVID. And on top of that, they don't even wear the masks correctly. So it doesn't even matter. I mean, like, realistically, if people would be honest, and I know deep down in their heart and souls that they can, for for asking a four-year-old to wear a mask all day in school is detrimental at best. And, I mean, absurd. Well, I totally agree with you. I mean, and, and I agree with you with uh, for many of the same reasons and maybe uh, one or two additional reasons. First of all, I think we can barely confidently say now that kids don't get super sick from COVID. Mm -hmm. Like they're not at risk for hospitalization and or death from COVID. So you would say, why do they all have to wear masks at school? Well, someone at one point said, well, so the kids can be asymptomatic and the kids will survive this, but they may spread it to their teachers and the teachers may spread it to their parents and their grandparents, whatever. But I think we've dispelled that. I don't think that the kids turn out to be quite the vectors that we thought they were going to be. Um, but so there's that aspect of it. And then, and then there's what you brought up as, you know, the, from a learning standpoint, uh, they're going to be very visually oriented as young children. You know, they, they're horrible at listening. They can't all read yet. So like everything's visual and interactive with other humans. And thirdly, like what three and four year olds going to keep a damn mask on all day? 
They're just not going They're to. Not going and what are you going to do? Like discipline them, spank them, put them in timeout just because they won't wear a mask? I mean, what in the hell kind of message does that send to a kid? That's my big problem with masking children is that you're going to discipline them for something that they literally cannot even grasp. You know, so it's fine to discipline a kid if they're beating the crap out of another student or if they're like, you know, spitting uh, or, you know, taking a pee or a crap in the floor at school. Like, you know, some of these things little toddlers do, right? I mean, you can spank on their butt or put them in timeout. Like, those are tangible, like, relatable things to them. But, like, this whole mask wearing, like, they're they're not going to understand that, period. And for them to get disciplined for that, I think, is entirely confusing yeah to them so from um from my perspective when you get down to the kids you know i still think it's absurd for adults okay but i don't really want to get into that but it is 100 percent meaningless for children that are my children's age and i'll i'll argue it up and down with somebody even in person that it does more harm to my son than it does good. Mm. And I, I believe that. I agree with you. Because I think the things that he's going to be missing by everybody wearing a mask. I agree with you. Yeah. Are, are um, you know, but. Well, just imagine. Uh, so go back to um, this vacation our whole family had not too long ago. Was it back in uh, July or August? August. So, uh, you know, we took the twins on an airplane for the first time ever. Or no, I, I take that back. At that point, it was the second time ever. First time didn't go very great. They freaked out. They panicked. It was awful. The second time, you know, when we flew with the rest of the family, it wasn't much better. They freaked out. They panicked. Um, so you have that starting already. You know, they're, they're, they're uneasy. They're confused. They're in a confined space. There's a lot of people. They're, they're not used to being in a crowd. And then on top of that, you have some fucking flight attendant telling them to put a mask on now how how are we going to accomplish that they're already upset and bawling and crying and then you're going to shove something on their face i remember telling a flight attendant i said if you're going to require these babies to wear a mask you might as well pull our luggage off the plane and kick us off right now i mean i don't want there to be an argument over this now, thankfully, we had there must have been some hierarchy of flight attendants on this flight, you know, because a different flight attendant came over with a much higher degree of intellect, I believe. No, one that had the authority to be able to think for themselves. Yeah, one that was empowered <laughs> yeah. to make their own decisions. Yep. Okay. We're getting rid of that around uh, here. She came over and said, you know what, it's going to be fine. Just whatever it takes to make them comfortable with this flight. Amen. You know, uh, yep. And that, that so reason won out uh, on that flight. But no, so we that's another thing uh, we're doing in COVID. We have to we have to mask, uh, and especially when we're in tight quarters with um, other human beings in a flying tube, oh. and uh, presumably in a uh, tube on tracks too. I would guess that the same thing applies on uh, well, we trains. On speaking of that <laughs> that trip, and this is unrelated, but we made a poor choice. We were the only one of the Dennings that drove. Um, <laughs> part of that was me, although I wonder how my children would have handled the flight. But I have 
I've lost my mind. I apparently am unable to fly or at least mentally <laughs> accept it anymore. Hey, um, there's a lot of people that can't do it. But we can't, you know, and this is where I want people to think I'm, I'm not anybody that's listened to my my personal past podcast threads on, on the rift enlightenment within the divide. That's named my channel. I'm not some nut job. I mean, yeah, I think that Delta is out there and it's bad and it's running around. It's maybe hospitalized more people than the original virus a year ago. Um, it's obviously we, it is finally affecting people in our family. Mm -hmm. You know, we have currently aunts and uncles with it. Um, but, uh, you know, part of our immediate family. Um, and I have always been a proponent of get the vaccine. Yeah. So like, I don't, one thing I would say that's going on right now is there's more and more and more and more push more and more, um, pointing fingers at the unvaccinated and it's a little bit scary the way things are going down to, if people are truly honest with themselves. But I think to be pragmatic about the situation, I, I don't think any of it matters anymore. I think that the people that have been vaccinated are people that are willing to get vaccinated. The people that have not have already drawn the line in the sand and they're not going to, mm -hmm. they're not going to get convinced. So, we, you know, <laughs> so we just have to be able to figure out as a, as a nation how to deal with it and not treat anybody any differently. You know, you reap what you sow. The treatment's out there. If it works, it works for whoever. And, um, you know, just move on. I'm almost 100% of the belief now that I think everybody's going to get this, even the vaccinated. Everybody will get this. I think I've been on the record saying that. And... I think it's foolish for us to try to live our lives. And this whole podcast so far has been about how we've been adapting and doing things to cope with this. I think it's foolish to live our lives. Like we can get to COVID zero. Well, first of all, that's already not a reality, but I mean, it's no, it's just giving power to different entities to determine new rules about living, which is, I think unnecessary. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. And I, I know I've said that already a couple of times. Um, <laughs> but COVID zero, we missed the bus on that. You know, maybe if we had been 100% compliant on the whole 15 days to flatten the curve, you know, maybe if we had gone, you know, taken it a little bit further than that and been taking it very seriously, uh, maybe COVID zero could be reality. I don't believe that. I think no matter what the mitigation strategies were early on, uh, I think based on what we know now, COVID zero was never going to happen. I think the, the, the new reality is that this is going to be um, a persistent pathogen uh, in the world. Uh, maybe Maybe akin to the flu. You know, it's going to have a certain mortality rate, a certain hospitalization rate, and we're just going to have to do the best we can to mitigate the problems with it. And I think that only comes in the way of vaccination. I don't think that masking and social distancing and shutting down society and all that stuff works. In fact, I think that it's that that's detrimental, you know, potentially destroys uh, communities and, and individuals. Um, you know, one thing that we had with our, with our government, with any government and here, I'm going to get a little bit, uh, 
maybe deep on this, but yeah, but, well, but we've already yeah, veered a little off path. Governments, so it's fine. I'll allow it. Yeah, governments <laughs> want to do things that people can touch. Mm-hmm. So lockdowns, mask mandates, those are things that somebody can point a finger out and say, "Well, they did that." Mm-hmm. So if you do things that, honestly, in my opinion, are common sense, like you know, get, getting everybody to get the vaccine, which they're trying to do, everybody. You yeah. know, to be honest, every governor, every everybody is trying to get people to take the vaccine. But these things like locking down all businesses, telling people to not go, that kind of stuff is foolish. It always was foolish. And the only reason it was really done is it's because it's something that these people could say they did. Yeah. Some of you. <laughs> Yeah, it's ta- exactly. It's, it's tangible. Like there are other things, mm-hmm. other things that they should have done aren't things that you can really touch. Yep. So there's there are things that government government people weren't going to do because it would have looked like they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the things that they did do, in all honesty, were probably, you know, I, I don't want to be 100 percent certain, but they were probably more detrimental than they were beneficial. And And I think the only reason for that is because it's something to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you can either shut the economy down or not. So, well, we can't do the or not. <laughs> you know, right. we got to do the yeah. let's shut her down. Uh-huh. Right. Mm. So, you know, another thing. So I'm going to drop a bombshell on this podcast. This is switching gears a little bit. And this is something that's been going on over the last couple of weeks. And I'm you, gonna, be, you can't be killing and destroying my podcast, but go no, ahead. no, no, no. This well, is, this is about me. I'll just, I'll, I'll just mute you if you go too far. No, I think this is a good release for them. <laughs> uh, cause I've alluded to it and it's a couple of things I've done. So my wife's grandfather passed away two weeks ago. Mm, I know okay. where you're going with this. Yeah. So, she was unable to go home and see him off. He was 96. He actually was in the um, Civil War where Chairman Mao, I mean, this is how old he is. Chairman Mao in China, you know, they had the revolution, the cultural revolution. Mm-hmm. He ended up winning. He united China. But in uniting China, they slaughtered a lot of people that didn't agree with that yes. route. Okay. Well, her grandfather, my wife's grandfather, and my children's great-grandfather fought against Chairman Mao, wanted mm-hmm. th- wanted and believed in the way China used to be, and was severely punished for it, was not killed, but um, basically lived a life of exile for a long time, and his family couldn't couldn't do anything for many, many, many years until they had proven through basically being silent and complying <laughs> that... They could do it. And so they're okay now. But anyway, my wife cannot cannot return to China at the moment. Yeah. And part of that is because of me. So we have been duking this immigration out for years. I've been married to my wife now for over five years. And so this is the bombshell I'm going to drop. So I'm your youngest brother, and I'm going to admit it. I am a sex offender. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that a series of very poor decisions— I'm not ever going to defend them, but they are affecting things to the point where they're affecting my wife. So let's flash forward to 2021. They're affecting my relationship with my wife because it's, it is a roadblock to her immigrating is my past um, conviction for lack of a better way to say it. 
and I've been struggling with it. This is one of the stories I'd love to talk about on my podcast, but it's very touchy, but it's really depressing us. My wife has a hard time dealing with it. Mm. She cannot return home. She can't see her family. Her grandfather's now died. She cannot go see him. We're just in limbo. And we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a decision. So while this is all going on, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for a decision as to whether she can get her green card. And in order for her to get that, as you know, David, because you're, you know, one of my close confidants here and my brother, but I have to prove to immigration that I am no harm to my wife, not not just sexually, but just period, which is impossible. <laughs> Um, yes, for, that's not provable. Yeah, for anybody to do, um, you know, I've, like what is the what would be the basis? What like what is the burden of proof there? Like, right? I mean, all I could do is just say, you know, I did this. I was convicted for this, and then you know, I and have a whole bunch of letters saying that you know I'm a business owner, and you know, I'm not saying this stuff to to ruin my my business. I mean, I'm if there was a problem with me, I'm sure it would have come out already. Um, so. I feel personally like I'm a normal guy. Um, I have a family. I have two young children. I'm just trying to live. Um, Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I had to compile a whole bunch of notarized letters to say that, you know, from notable family members and and, and members of the community of Huntington and the greater community, even of West Virginia, that I'm, they want me in society. They want my wife in society, you know, let, I'm a good guy, right? Well, literally, a week after we got back from our trip down to Disney, and I, you may not know this, I got something in the mail. Everything's, you know, we've been living our life the way that it has been, that we were denied. I was uh, not able to sufficiently prove that I'm no harm to my wife. So in the middle of that, I'm still, we're, we're scrambling because that, that gets her here in an interesting predicament. So we had to refile again and cost a couple thousand dollars and going through the whole process again and then her grandfather dies mm-hmm. and and i just feel like i've owned what i've done but it doesn't uh and maybe people listening even may may think i deserve this but i i don't i don't believe that and certainly my children would say that that's not true um they can't see their grandparents and it's been a really rough, rough issue. So if anybody out there cares, and if you want to look into me, okay, whatever. But, you know, my family could use some prayers if you believe in that. But my, my wife's really been struggling. She's been struggling for a couple of years. Um, her grandfather died. This was a, there was a big Chinese festival called um, the Moon Festival or Mid-Autumn Festival where the Chinese um, celebrate the harvest and it's gone on for thousands of years and set off Chinese lanterns. And so we did that yesterday with my children to celebrate that and eat moon cake. Um, and, <laughs> and uh, here's a, this will be another plug for your YouTube channel. I saw you put a video up of launching um, one of the Chinese lanterns. Yeah. So I don't want to get too deep into it, but that's been really, really on my mind and I've wanted to unload this. Yeah. And I got, let me interject Sam and, not that I don't want to totally derail your discussion. Um, first of all, I want to say it's therapy. No, I'm kidding. It's well, okay. first of all, I want to say I didn't imagine uh, this interview with you taking this direction. And um, <clears throat> I've always respected your privacy. This isn't anything I ever talk with people about in public. 
And if you want to call, uh, if you want me to delete this, I will. <laughs> no. I mean, we're going to keep recording just for austerity's sake. But uh, and again, we'll, we'll probably talk about this at the conclusion. But uh, well, it doesn't bother you. We don't if have you to broadcast it, does it. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I just don't want any harm to be done to you or to your reputation. Um, but I would just say, so I mean, regardless of those hurdles, you have to go over, which are extensive. Um, and I think you've articulated that in part to the audience. COVID has made it even worse, right? Because now these government agencies that you need to go through shut are down. gone. Yeah, They're shut down or they have skeletal crews. Um, I did a whole, well, on that note, I did a whole podcast back in February of this year. It's one of the last ones I did on my wife being unable to renew her driver's yeah, license because she doesn't have a valid passport now because the, the embassy from China is shut down <laughs> due to COVID. And, uh, you know, my wife is not so dispelling it. She's not illegal. We have pending applications out there and stuff like that. But but even then, I mean, at this point in time, even if she was here illegally, my God, I mean, she's not a drain on the on society. And I need her. This is my personal. I need her to be able to drive. No. She's got to pick our children up from school and stuff. And um, I mean, it's just a crazy story. I mean, I probably eventually will get into it more. And I'm surprised yeah, I've revealed it. But well. I'm shocked you revealed uh, as much as you did. I uh, have always encouraged you to write a book about this one day and, you know, maybe get, uh, you, and you could do this very easily. You could get a publisher. You could engage a publisher. A ghost and then, writer. Well, and the, no, you don't need a ghostwriter. You just need advice on how to actually uh, articulate this in a cohesive uh, story. But, but I bet this would, this would be a book people would buy. Um, but no, like, uh, I mean, yeah, so it's the reason it's absolutely it, appalling that uh, someone would have so much difficulty navigating the uh, immigration system in our country as a I, as a well as a spouse of a natural born American citizen, number one, that's the, that's the the. the the primary issue, I think. Second of all, she's a, a productive member of this society. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's not employed at the moment, but she holds a degree in healthcare that, administration. Exactly. But she could go to work, but mm-hmm. she's a mother right now. And I'm going to argue with anybody that that in and of itself is a, is gainful employment. That That's productivity, right? Uh, and that's not to take away from any of the other illegal migrant mothers or parents out there. But, you know, in your situation, she is contributing to your family uh, in a way that allows you to be product, a productive member of society. Is that right? Does that make sense? And, you know, and a lot of people's and she's, concerns. And she's, not, uh, and she's not a problem. You know, she's not going to just draw on all the public programs um right not you know, at all. like a lot of the other illegal immigrants would do uh, so yeah she's supported just, by me i mean she's done, exactly yeah. so i just think it's kind of it's 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 somewhat uh appalling that a person like her would have such difficulties navigating the the whole immigration system you yeah, know she's it, a person who's doing it she's towing the line 
right at, at every step she's dotting all of her eyes crossing all of her t's you know you guys have legal representation at every turn <laughs> it's unbelievable um, uh, and then you know you look at uh what, what the current events as of today that what is it today september the 22nd second. there's like what twenty five thousand people waiting down uh at rio lindo or whatever that down is down in Mexico, down yeah, in Rhea. Texas, uh, to to get across the, and into the U.S. Most of them Haitian migrants, who like in this has gone a somewhat different direction right. than I wanted it to, but I, I am going to get this out. So th- th- we're told that most of these people are Haitian migrants who you know, who are fleeing Haiti, right? Well, Haiti is in the Caribbean. Texas is Texas. How the fuck did they get there? Yep. So they've gone through at least one other country that they could have sought asylum in, and we're expected to just take them through here. And then here is your wife, and I want to make that very clear, that your wife. So everyone everyone out there, I'm sure, assumes that if you have a foreign national marrying a natural-born United States citizen, that they're granted uh, citizenship automatically that is not necessarily the case yeah they do a lot of things like they need to prove that the marriage was legit so usually it all goes through without a hitch i'm getting we're getting hung up in part of the adam walsh act and this is getting a little nitty-gritty but in there there was one sentence that said that if you've committed a, a sexual offense that you have lost your right to petition for a for a relative, which that's what this is. You're petitioning your wife. She's an and relative. And I guarantee you the average American citizen is 100% unaware of this. I have this. no idea. And so what I'm the reason I'm throwing this out today of all the days is it's just I've we've we've almost reached our emotional limit and mm. we need a miracle. Uh for lack of a better word, I mean God or somebody's got to step in and, 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 and put reason into the hands of the person that sees our application. Yeah. So, you know, and like you're you exactly were, right. Like a you reasonable were, person has to prevail. Like, like you were saying with the thing on the airplane, right? Somebody higher up apparently had the authority to be able to use reason with yeah. the girls wearing the mask. Mm-hmm. Somebody that my application with my wife, somebody that reads this has got to be able to step back and go, look, he's got all these people that support him. He's a productive member. I mean, what's the big deal? He has a family. And what depresses me the most is that my uh, children don't know. They're just little kids. I mean, they just, they need their mom. They need their grandparents on both sides in America and in China. And, um, you know, so when we set off that lantern and we did it last night, uh, it just, it just, you you know, if you were watching the lantern send off on my YouTube channel, you wouldn't actually uh, know it. But it really just depressed me because I know my wife's wanting to be home for this holiday, wanting to be home to mourn the loss of her grandfather. And Sam, I hate to say this. Uh, may we take a little pause in this? Yes, let's take a little break. Because uh, Megan and the kids just got back. I'm going to see. I think one of them's probably still asleep in the in the car. Okay, let's take a little it's, break. I, it's bad timing, but we'll we'll get back on this. Okay. Uh, so we're back. We had to take a small break. Um, the uh, the twins came back from their preschool date today, and um, 
mommy needed some help getting him in the house and you you may be able to hear them a little upset in the background it's it's nap time but so sam we're back on um i really hated to interrupt you well, I know you'd got some real deep stuff, yeah, dude. Uh, well, we, we, things that I did not anticipate coming out today. We have joked around on your podcast and on mine about, oh, you know, these issues from my past and whatever. And we've touched on it. So yeah. things have been a little bit rough here recently. And it made me decide, you know what? I am who I am. And I know who that person is. And I know it's a good person. And I'm a genuine person. And people make mistakes and deserve second chances. And even if I don't deserve a second chance, and some maybe in a listener's opinion, my wife doesn't deserve to be punished for this, and neither do my children. I think that's a little bit excessive. And um, you know, my my overall point of bringing it up was just to let you guys know if if any of you are religious people or whatever, throw out some prayers for us. You know, keep us in mind, and um, you know, know that. We need a little bit of extra brain power going our way and, and, and could use some help. Well, that's um, that's a great thought, Sam. And I, I bet you um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to learn this, but I bet a lot of my listeners are uh, you know, faithful, people of faith and, uh, and do believe in the power of prayer. And, um, and I'm just going to put this out there. I believe that none of us are free of faults or sins. If you deny that, you're freaking full of it. Um, I know that I've had my trials. I think they're very well documented all over the place. I don't talk to them about, I don't talk to everyone about them, but uh, enough people know that, um, you know, I've had some, substance abuse issues i've had a dui conviction and i had to do a lot of stuff with regards to that to maintain a medical license um but yeah so i everyone every single person on this planet has got an issue has got a skeleton in the closet has got a demon you're not uh, unique man you're not uh an outlier by any means and um and i know that this it's not something that you're gonna just uh put out there with every introduction like hey i'm Sam <laughs> right. denning here's my criminal past um and i don't either but uh, i'll talk about my past to anyone who wants to know about it i'm not proud of it but i'm proud of how I overcame it <clears throat> and um yeah so that's the thing with maybe me we I can feel like every now every now and then I've overcome mine but it just keeps a little bit <laughs> well and so I mean I haven't uh, I have I totally overcome mine I mean I don't know I get these emails monthly from the West Virginia uh, Medical Professionals Health Program, the WVMPHP, I think it's called. Uh, the director of that is still Brad Hall. Uh, I know you just watched me roll my eyes all the way back in my head. Um, 
It doesn't matter what I think of him. But anyways, I, I still get these emails from that program uh, that you know, arguably helped me navigate uh, my uh, alcohol abuse problem. And every time I get an email, I'm afraid that something's it's, coming down. No, that it's going to say something like, Danning, we need you to do something else. But thankfully, the, the only emails I get are like, hey, um, we're having a seminar this month or we're having a conference this year or, you know, or we'd like you to donate some money to the program, whatever. But I. The children I, are safe. I want everybody. Yeah, to the, the girls are fine. But uh, no, I just I just want to put that out. Like, I, you know, I get these emails and sometimes I'm afraid, like, oh, my gosh, did I do something? Did I trip up? Did I did I screw up in my last license renewal? Um, you know what? That that's crazy because so I get these this informed delivery through the USPS, the Postal Service, where they scan and make PDF images of what mail you're you're getting mm-hmm. in the mail every day. And if you guys haven't ever heard of that, you can sign up for it on the USPS.org website, and it tells you what you're supposed to be getting. Right? Do you do that, David? I do not. Okay, so I do it. And the day that I got something from immigration, I saw it coming in the mail. My heart dropped, and I'm like, holy, mm. like you. And the thing is, it did turn out to be bad. Um, mm. And, But, you know, it, it, I'm kind of surprised, you know, you're bringing your thing up, too. Maybe I'm, I've disarmed you a little bit. But I, I normally, about half my tenants know my situation, which it doesn't really encroach on anything unless I – evict someone and then they google my name or something like that and then they hate me Mm -hmm. uh for for whatever reason and then um but i would bet and i'd bet a lot of money that if i were to just spring it on the other 50 percent of the people that rent for me they wouldn't move they know me i'm a good dude i mean i you know i've screwed up and i was in college and made some pretty dumb mistakes and I don't want to say I'm an advocate for anything. I think I'd be an advocate for people struggling with this immigration problem because I think it's mm-hmm. abs- I think it's absurd. Um, no, that's the key right there, Sam. So I'm going to admit this: um, my substance use history uh, enables me to educate patients big time, and I'm not just talking about alcohol. So not. I never went down the pathway of doing uh, illicit drugs. I tell people all the time, I only messed with alcohol and tobacco ever. The two quote legal drugs in this country. And um, yeah, so I'm happy to share my alcohol experience with any patient that will listen. And in fact, I do bring it up with those patients uh, who do have a serious alcohol abuse problem. I'll tell them openly, like, listen, if you continue down this pathway, you're going to have these problems like I did Um, whenever I encounter smokers. Like, I mean, you can ask anyone I work with. I think I'm probably the most um, aggressive physician in my department when it comes to uh, advising smoking cessation to the point where, like, people are annoyed with me. But – I tell patients, like, listen, I used to smoke uh, more than I ever care to admit. Like, it's embarrassing how much I used to smoke. 
But I think that gives me perspective on smoking cessation. You know, as I tell people, get off that shit any way that you can. You know, it's a horrible habit. It, it robs you of uh, your life. It robs you of being well. It robs you of money. Mm-hmm. The, like how expensive is a smoking <laughs> habit for God's sake? Um, and, uh, and I think like I have a unique opportunity to confront people about that when they're coming for surgery. Like, I mean, I hate to admit there are those people and you can see them coming. There are those people that are never going to quit, never going to quit smoking, but there you can spot the people who are on the edge who, you know, they, they just need another reason. They know that it's bad for their lungs. They know that it's bad for their heart. And then I tell them like, Hey, did you know that, you have an increased risk of wound infection if you continue to smoke. Do you know you have an increased risk of your total joint replacement failing if you continue to smoke? You have a risk of the screws and shit that they put in your broken bones failing if you continue to smoke. And so, like, that's what I really hammer home on people. And who knows if they're ever going to stop. But I do have a lot of patients try to call me out. They'll say, oh, well, you're you're a doctor. You don't know what it's like. And I'll say, I do. I smoked two-plus packs of cigs a day when I was in college and in med school. And I regret it. And I'm embarrassed to admit that. I, I think And I'll tell people like the alcoholics, you know, I'll say, stop this crap. You know, like I I was on the verge of losing a medical license over – alcohol issues mm-hmm. you know you have to pull yourself back in uh i don't want to say i rode doing. with you on that but i definitely know a lot of what you, you dealt with there and, and i would say and i still consume it, alcohol i mean i won't deny that but i'm smarter about it well I, my issue is dui so i'm not going out and drinking you know a case of beer and hitting the road right you know but i want to say on a on a broader scale because i've thought to myself in the past you know when i first got arrested and convicted i was young i was college age and Mm -hmm. i made a dumb college age decision and part of what i was trying to sell was like hey let me tell people my age like you know what this can do well now i can surely tell them but i'm almost 40 so you know Mm -hmm. you gotta go try to go talk to high schooler at the age 40 they're like hey okay buddy um but there's major repercussions that are, yes. that are that are lifelong and people need to get get real you know basically but the along the lines of what you were saying with when you talk to your patients and stuff and this is a broader conversation but isn't it amazing how when you tell people the truth they get more upset and more mad they get pissed because the truth they get and, and I've said this on some of my podcasts about politics, but the truth hurts, but it will set you free. People mm-hmm. don't people don't want to hear the truth because they know the truth. And it's a lot easier yeah. to just be silent or to ignore it. Absolutely. And, you know, with people with substance abuse issues, uh, people with, I don't know, you know, everything. You know, and that's why I say it's kind of a broader topic. When you bring up things that, if somebody's having a problem with the stuff you're trying to relate to them and they're getting upset, it's, it's because they know it. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to embrace. Yeah. And my wife, you know, this goes back to my wife in China the China in America, we have somewhat 
on a large scale begun to embrace our issues and accept them and own mm-hmm. them and move on. Mm-hmm. And in China, they still culturally, you don't talk about it. Oh no, you do denial, not bring it up. Yeah, you deny anything that could possibly give you bad face. Yeah, you know, and that's so psychologically unhealthy. And this kind of conversations transformed into like a <laughs> a, a, a psychological uh, session. But it, it th- we've done a much better job in America of owning our problems, like as a country. But we still have a long way to go. Not our problems as a country, but on an individual basis. People are more willing to come out and say, hey, I do have a problem. But the people that don't do that, if you point that out to them, as you see probably regularly, those are fighting words. (laughs) They are very often. And especially when I talk to uh, the drug addicts. You know, so I don't have experience with amphetamines. I don't have experience with heroin or uh, cocaine, you know, all these things. But I look at these kids, and I call them kids because they are largely younger than me. And most of them, I would say, are teenage to, to in their 20s. And I just look at people when they come in for drug-related surgical issues, I say, what are you doing to yourself? You're fucking killing yourself. You got your whole life ahead of you. Stop this crap. Do something. Get in a program. Like, and I, and I hate that that's all I can do. But that literally is all I can do as an anesthesia provider. I mean, I can't follow up with any of these people. Um, you know, it amazes, and I've said this. And, and there's times. and there is this concept. I'm going to talk over you for a second. There is this concept of uh, the compassion fatigue, and I think every single provider has experienced that at some point in their career, and you you may experience it over and over again. I have experienced it over and over and over again. I lose my compassion for these people on a regular basis, but then. It rises back up one night when I'm on call. And and like I said, I I tell these people to, uh, you know, redirect themselves, uh, get back on a better course, whatever. Um, I could totally see that. But you know, I spend so much. But the time. thing is, I think all providers have this compassion fatigue. You just get sick and tired of this crap happening all the time. You, well, like you're, you, you pour your heart and soul into these people and you see over and over and over, they don't appear to care. They don't appear to care. Because but I, I want don't, to say that, appear, because maybe they do. But. but when you sit down and think about it, I don't think it's a matter of them caring or not caring. I think they're just so lost in their substance well, abuse disorder that they can't care. They, that's the people that are like on heroin, let's say, or you know, uh, some of those very addictive drugs, even alcohol. When you when you're way way uh, addicted to alcohol, right? The I would think that the number one, and I've said I've said this my whole life. If the draw of your children isn't enough to get you to get your shit together, then I don't I don't see how there's going to be anything yeah. else that can. What could be stronger than that? Right and. And that's what makes you say, like a lot of these drugs, where I am sympathetic. I don't like how I don't like the means of how these people go about getting their drugs and this and that. Mm-hmm. But I, 
but they are severely addicted. Yeah. That to the point where we cannot understand it. It's beyond our comprehension. No, you cannot wrap your head around <laughs> yeah, that I, I, at all. It, right. And so, but in your shoes, because I don't have to deal with it on like a, you're expecting people to get better and people to take your advice, hopefully. And I don't deal with that. I mean, I do see a lot of people on stuff, but I'm not, I'm not expecting them to. Well, you know, I don't. Let me make this clear. I don't ever expect someone to take my advice. Well, you hope. I hope that right. they do. But my thing is, is I think that I have a different sort of fatigue where I'm tired of seeing this. But from your perspective, I could see this compassion fatigue where it's like, I want these people. I can make a difference if they would just listen. Yeah. But then you, you get to this point where like, well, I, it's wasted breath. Why should I expend any energy? But if you get that one. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows if I've ever reached anyone? I, I, that's the problem. I would not know because I don't get to follow up with people hardly at all. Right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. Oh, I'm still. No, you're fine. My wife is just... Wait, I think I muted myself. I, we, I don't know if there was an audible pause there. My wife. This better be the most listened to podcast. My wife awesome. opened the basement door and she was like down on her chest to look down at us and asked if we wanted a grilled cheese sandwich. Bless oh, her heart. Because uh, Megan's had awesome. it been yesterday, Megan's awesome. I would have said yes, but I'm back on the Adkins. Yeah. I think I, I already I had enough potato chips and freaking French French I, onion dip. I lost uh, I lost eighty five pounds. Okay, get this. I lost eighty five pounds in six Stop, months. Stop, you're making me jealous. On the no, on the Adkins. And then I uh, stayed at that weight loss for a year. Okay, so total 18 months, a loss of 85 pounds. Mm-hmm. All of it was lost in six months. And then I just ate like every meal was the last meal on earth. Every meal. Well, before you know it, you, you put 10,000 calories well, in your mouth. Right. Well, when I right. went, you, like <laughs> I know last, how that goes. last night, I got three blizzards. Not for me. Okay, don't joke. Uh, I got Owen a blizzard. And okay. Owen's growing, so I thought he could use a medium. I thought you meant blizzards for yourself. Jesus no, and Christ. then I got Ying a large pumpkin pie blizzard. Mm-hmm. And I got me a Royal Reese's blizzard where they inject peanut butter, hot <laughs> peanut butter in the middle of it. Okay. And Ying refused to eat her large pumpkin pie blizzard because it had whipped cream on the top. And she doesn't like whipped cream. And it touched it so she wouldn't eat it. <laughs> so... I, we got it down at the Dairy Queen in Huntington that's close to the 17th Street Bridge or whatever mm-hmm, it is. Mm-hmm. So we were taking the children to the new St. Clouds Park, which is yeah. awesome. Have you taken your kids there? It's great. Megan's it's got been a, there, yeah. It's got a water park and stuff. So I, between that Dairy Queen and that park, I ate Ying's Blizzard, um, mm-hmm. which on the on the thing, it's like 2,600 calories for cool. that for that blizzard, okay? <laughs> And I thought, all right, I'll eat my blizzard, the one I bought for me, 
the one that's over 3,000 calories because it's been injected with the, the Royal Reese's Blizzard. And uh-huh. if you haven't had that one, go get it. Royal, I'm sure it's Not awesome. the Reese's Blizzard, the Royal Reese's Blizzard. It's where I'm they take sure a thing and, awesome. and they enjoy. Yeah. And so I, I ate that while we were at the park. And then Owen had like <laughs> a spoon of his medium. Or maybe medium was too much. And then much gave the rest to you. And gave the rest to me, and Ying said she didn't really. So you consumed like 9,000 calories of ice cream. And that's when I got home last night, and my belt buckle, my belt had gone <laughs> from the fourth hole down to the first hole. Or, no, you know, from the, shut up. And, no, not no, in one day. No, not in a day, but it, 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 it in two months. <laughs> since july yeah okay so in july i weighed 240 um last night i weighed 289 oh my god dude and when i started my diet 18 months ago i was 337 well so you're still negative i'm still down but i've got to stop this trend because it's it's yeah totally it's it's to the point where i'll be 400 by christmas (laughs) (laughs) at that pace (laughs) oh sammy (laughs) sam well, let's get back on uh, some things that we're doing or not doing uh, because of COVID. Now, don't laugh. Because uh, there are some things I have in my brain that I'm going to talk about. I'm sorry. I derailed it a little bit. No, it's okay. What about uh, movies? You have any thought on that, Sam? I have not been to a movie theater. Yeah. So movie theaters were closed as part of the initial COVID shutdown. They are reopened, but has anyone actually gone back to them? Um, I don't think so. Mm. And I'm going to tell you two reasons why. Three, three reasons why. The movies suck? First of all, the movies that have been produced since COVID started are bullshit. They're horrible. Um. Or the, the the or let me let me restate that the movies that have gone to theater since COVID are awful and bullshit and terrible and shitty. <laughs> wow, those are some good adjectives. <laughs> I mean, can you name any good movies that have come out in the last year? Uh, wasn't there that one like um, A Quiet Place Two? <sighs> Or was it three? Didn't see it. It wasn't as good as the first A Quiet Place. Didn't see it. I'm sure it was awful. It was shitty. Uh, so, so that's the first reason no one's been to the <laughs> if theater. If the best movie Because the movies are name, horrible. The movies are horrible. Hang on a second. If the best movie that I can name during, during the pandemic is A Quiet Place <laughs> 2, there is some problem. Yeah. Second uh, reason is... I think people have totally realized they can watch movies in the comfort of their own home much easier, much cheaper, uh, and enjoy it more, right? So you're not paying the $17 for a bucket of popcorn. You're not paying uh, $25 for a a 16-ounce beverage. You're not paying $11 for a box of jujubes, right? You can pop your own popcorn at home for, what, a a dollar a bag in the microwave? You can drink a six-pack? You you can go 
Fuck, you can go buy a case of Budweiser for what it cost uh, to buy popcorn. And, and to be and to be honest, on your yeah. for, on your first, and you note, can get the, shit faced, and you can watch, you can re, you can well, on you your, have the volume where you want it, you can rewind if you need to. Blah blah blah. On your first what comment it, yeah. too, the content is better. It yes. is much better. Yes, and and the and the actual experience is is more relaxing yeah so i, I would argue so this may not over. be i think it's dead I this think that, may not be 100 percent a COVID issue uh this may be so this is COVID in part but i would also say that this is technology driven so when in the past you know well so let's exclude the past i don't know five to ten years and say that that's the five the last five to ten years has been a a peak or at least an accelerated home theater experience right prior to that so if you go back ten years twenty years um you couldn't have a big screen t v at your house well, let me take that back. you could have a big screen t v at your house, but it like cost no, but it cost thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have surround hound uh, surround hound surround sound at your house uh but it, it, unless you paid thousands and thousands of dollars, you couldn't get theater seating in your house unless you paid thousands of dollars. You know, you had to you had to construct these rooms in your house, right? People were building home home theaters. This was a thing of the rich and the wealthy and the very well to do. They were building home theaters that cost tens of thousands of dollars. The average person could not have a movie theater experience at home. Exactly. Right? Yes. Nowadays, I would argue the average person can have the movie theater experience at home. Our televisions, you can buy a 70 inch television for, for a few five, hundred dollars. Bucks. Yeah. Right? You can buy a stereo system to attach to that for a few hundred dollars. You can black out your blinds for a few hundred dollars. You know what I'm saying? And then you just pay, like I said, pennies on the dollar. You, you buy your drinks and your, and your popcorn, popcorn and stuff. So all of those factors go into this this whole movie theater experience, and I think the movie the, the movie theater experience is poop now. It's no one wants to pay for that. Um, so that is that is issue number two, right? Well, issue number two, and going into issue number three, I guess. So issue number three is all, a lot of the major studios. Um, the one that rises to the top of my my mind is the Warner Brothers. Uh, they are releasing their movies concurrent uh, in the theater and on television. And I'm going to tell you what, like whether you have, so if you've if you've already subscribed to any of these streaming things, such as HBO Max, that's the Warner Brothers platform, right? <laughs> If you're already subscribing to that, like why in the hell would you go and watch a movie in the theaters? And I don't even care how big your television is at home or what your what your home theater experience is. If you're already paying for HBO Max, why would you go to the theater? You have no reason to. You know, there are you're one hundred percent dead on. I our mother is a great example of somebody that loves the movie theater experience 
and I think she's gone to a she couple would. movies. And I don't, I don't even necessarily think it matters to her the quality of the movie. She just likes the movie theater experience. So you're going to have that two dozen people in Huntington or a couple hundred. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious or, yeah. or, being, no, or not maybe facetious, not. but sarcastic. But you might be right on that COVID. And this is along the lines of things I've brought up and you've brought up in past podcasts, but like the grocery stores, they were already widening the aisles and getting personalized shoppers and delivery before the pandemic. Uh-huh. And it's an issue of technology. Okay. And convenience and mm-hmm. service. This country is becoming a service, a technology and service driven country, not production and manufacturing. And when, when you look at the movie theaters, it's the same thing. They were dying yeah. before the pandemic and the pandemic just pushed them over the cliff. I bet you in Huntington, in Charleston, I bet you we'll be lucky to have a theater in the next couple I of years. I concur. Because there is not... I, There's not the people to support it. No, and, and you can get everything now is you do it when you want to do it. I bet you people don't even care if it's the new release. Right. They'll watch something else on Netflix or HBO until that becomes available. Nobody gives a Right. Who wants to you buy know, a ticket to to go see a matinee show at twelve thirty? You know when you can watch it whenever the fuck you want to at home. You can watch it between basketball practice. Exactly. Or, you exactly. know, and, and one thing that I am remiss, you know, I miss in this country is that it, it was positive, and I guess you could say negative. I mean, we were getting our news sources. Everybody would watch. You know, NBC Nightly News at 6 p.m. The whole country. Yeah. Everybody would watch Friends. Everybody would watch That's this. True. You know, the yeah. whole country had a unifying um, show. You know, if you weren't watching that, you you weren't in. For sure. Okay, so what, what what's happened here now is, I mean, it's like we're all in our own little world. There is so much content, and it's so good. And my point with this, which is exactly the point you're making, there's no reason to go to a movie theater. None. None whatsoever. Not for the popcorn. Not for. I mean, they're even <laughs> making popcorn better. Well, you know. They, you can pop pork grinds. <laughs> Have you ever heard the statement that uh, says popcorn costs more than filet mignon per ounce? <laughs> it's true. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, your, your bucket of popcorn at the movie theater is literally like one ounce of popcorn. It's like twelve dollars. <laughs> well, I mean, it it so that's one major, major, major change. Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. hit that one. I mean, it took us a minute, but that's a that's a big one. Um, I would say the way that we consume meals, people mm. there are less people eating out. People still like the dining out experience, but there are so many more people ordering takeout. That will probably continue to. So this is another COVID topic, another COVID thing that we're, um, yeah, go ahead. Sam's, um, Sam's pulled his headphones off for a second, but no, this is another COVID thing. Nobody's going out to eat or, you know, during COVID, nobody, no one went out to eat. Um, because we weren't allowed to. And I think what 
what people what people realized is that uh, we could either go and get curbside pickup, we could get delivery, uh, or we could learn by YouTube how to cook what we wanted just as good as they did at the restaurants. And uh, the restaurants began to die away. And, and, that's to- and that's totally understandable with COVID. But I believe that this is a, somewhat a persistent problem that even though most, if not all, the restaurants have opened up again, people aren't going to all of them. Uh, people, people have realized that they can stay at home and they can literally cook their own meals for a, for cheaper and they can cook exactly what they want. They don't have to settle for what's on a, a restaurant's menu and people are staying at home. And if they're not cooking themselves, they are still supporting the restaurants. Um, but not not to the extent that they would in person, you know, so you order a meal, you order something from a restaurant for delivery. That's it. Right. You just order your, uh, you know, your steak and your two sides for yourself and you order your chicken and your two sides for your spouse, whatever. But if you went to that restaurant in person, you were uh, very likely going to, you know, if you didn't partake in some cocktails, you were going to order a soft drink, right? Which you know, might sound like a minuscule amount of money, but that's that's another three dollars or four dollars for a, a couple out to dinner. Or say you did partake in some cocktails when you went out. Well, that's another thirty or forty dollars, right? So yeah, I would say. It, Almost universally, when you're ordering uh, delivery or curbside pickup, you're almost universally ordering less uh, in the amount of total money spent on, on every order, right? Yeah, when you look. When and you- it takes less staff to prepare it. So then they're going to fire staff, you know, you're going to. And then you're going to be open fewer hours. I, I mean, the the problem is multifactorial. Yeah, you know, you think I, I've thought this through a lot during COVID about how this is going to affect the economy. So now, you know, you might argue you don't have as many servers, but you have more Uber Eats drivers or DoorDash or Grubhub or or, or whatever. Uh, you know, David has also stepped away to grab a drink, but. Um, you know, they're more gig, gig workers, but you still need to get the employees to cook the meals. But ultimately, you know, you wonder how is this going to change the overall social norms and the status quo of how we used to do things. And this is, you know, this is the whole definition of being, you know, progressing, Things, things like this have changed throughout time over and over and over and over again, but it's just happened so rapidly. And the questions I ask myself is not what's going on right this second. The questions I continue to ask myself is how long before it's like this? 
right? Yeah. So yeah. I think that we can all honestly see the trajectory. This is why I, uh, in some of my podcasts, I keep saying, man, we're heading closer and closer to the matrix. <laughs> and and it's not just about the eating, how we consume the food and how we do this and that. It's just that we are n- choosing to interact mostly with our technology instead of with ourselves. And I think that 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 we're not that many iterations from that being a reality, right? Of of all interactions being uh what well, you you're absolutely right. And, and and I don't think you have to look any further than all this stuff that's coming out. I mean, today or well, last night I saw you know, everyone's talking about uh, Instagram and how, uh, you know, the 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 higher ups of Facebook and Instagram knew that Instagram was toxic to young girls. Toxic to young girls. Now, on the surface, I don't buy that. Like, well, I, I buy that in that I I. I do believe that they knew it was toxic to young girls. However, I want to say, like, is that really their problem? Or is that our problem? Is that Facebook's problem or is it our problem societally? Right? Like, why should we allow Instagram to destroy young girls' uh, you know, minds and... and and uh, intellects and and their uh yeah like and make them societally like uh, you're saying why are we predisposed right. to be so obsessed with appearances exactly so obsessed with, why you know and why, I li- why why i listen to and a lot of people say glenn beck is alt right or whatever i don't even care but i think he's a real he poses real questions that are real issues and he had a he had a podcast recently that i i I um I actually sent it off to a bunch of people and it was with Brett Weinstein. Did you listen or do you know who I'm talking about? I do. The evolutionary biologist and his wife and she's an evolutionary biologist. I just bought their book, that's, dude. Okay, so that's what they talked about. <laughs> and what I wanted to point out was uh-huh. the part of this book. Okay, so they argue that we are basically still like cavemen. Okay, and that we can't we are our brains are software that needs updating mm. and we can't update quick enough to keep up with technology mm. and mm-hmm. one of the ways that we've updated throughout human history is through campfire conversations you would sit and you would discuss things around a campfire in you know neolithic age or whatever you know just <laughs> just throwing that and, and and you would come up with better ways of doing stuff and you would pass that down throughout history, right? And that okay. was kind of like a reboot of our software. Mm-hmm. Now it's we're not ha- those conversations are not being held very often anymore. It's just pictures being posted and people being envious. And the people that are holding these campfire conversations, there is a small group of elites that we don't even know that are determining what's the best, right? So I don't want to digress into that. But my point is, is that this forum that you and I currently are on, David, is the modern equivalent of a campfire. I we, I would agree with that. We totally. are, you and I are having a conversation that other individuals can listen to 
and just entertain topics of conversation and new ideas to reboot our software. I know yeah. that in this one we delved into a little bit of stuff about my past and David's past, and some of that's good. People need to hear that and maybe reference their own situations. But they have a big-time point. We're, and COVID has brought this to the forefront. We as a society, not just in America, but all over the world, are struggling how to deal with being human and having all these technological advances. Traditions that we've had in our families throughout generations are are being blown out of the water. It is a big struggle. It is a massive struggle, and I and it is what it is. Like you know, nothing. You know, what will we leave our children? What will, what will our grandchildren see? It's going to be something that we can't even believe. Okay, and it's it's going to be. <laughs> We can guess at it all day long, Mm -hmm. but things are changing so rapidly. Our grandparents, the difference between our growing up and our grandparents growing up, it's pretty different, but it's not that different, but it's pretty different. Airplane, uh, our grandparents and our generation did not even have airplanes that they could fly on commercially. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have telephones. But what's going to be the difference generationally between us and our kids and our grandchildren? It is that's the point and yeah. we need to periodically group our people together not just our family but our friends and continue to sit this is their argument their 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 whole point continue to sit at a campfire not yeah. over facebook not over instagram have real face to face make eye contact conversations and reboot our software yeah or else it's going to get so out of hand and we're not going to know how to deal with it we're already there mhm well you know it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I find myself, uh, maybe maybe this is nostalgia, I don't know, but I find myself very frequently having conversations with uh, CRNAs and student nurse anesthetists, and sometimes even surgeons. I'll talk about how, how anesthesia used to be. Uh how anesthesia used to be when I was a resident or historically how I understand anesthesia used to be before I was a resident. People look at me like, like I've got tits on my face when I tell them that, uh, <laughs> uh, this is how anesthesia used to be, you know, and, and the greatest, the, uh, a good example last night when I was on call, uh, we had a critically ill patient who um, could not tolerate. I need two minutes. Okay. And then you can go pee. But no, so last night we had this critically ill patient who could not tolerate a lot of anesthesia. Okay. If we gave him a lot of anesthesia, his blood pressure dropped, his heart rate dropped. I mean, he was really sick. So. I told the nurse anesthetist, I said, you know, don't just turn most of the anesthesia off, turn it down to a minimum. Don't worry about this guy being aware of anything because he won't be, because he's critically ill. He's very old. Uh, He's had uh, multiple infarct dementia to begin with. He's severely demented. Um, His blood pressure is low. Like, it doesn't matter. He's not going to remember any of this experience. And I said, 
but do you re- do you know what we would have done back when I was a resident? Everyone said, no, no, no. What would you have done in this case? And I said, I would have turned all the anesthetic gas off. I would not have given him any of these other medicines. I would not give fentanyl. I would not give midazolam. I said, I would have given scopolamine injection. Scopolamine injection. The injectable is the key thing here. Because everyone in modern, modern anesthesia has heard of scopolamine patch that you put on the neck to prevent nausea. But what a lot of modern practitioners of anesthesia don't realize is that scopolamine injectable causes you to forget everything. Huh. And it doesn't affect your blood pressure or anything. And so I told these this nurse anesthetist and this student nurse anesthetist, I said, that's what I would have done in this case. I would have turned all the anesthetic gas off, all the ether compounds. I would have turned that off. Wouldn't have given any of this other shit. I would have given him scopolamine, 0.4 milligrams IV. Because he would have forgotten everything and he would have been at risk. He wouldn't form any memories. And it wouldn't affect his blood pressure or anything. And both of them, so the student nurse at that excuse me, the student nurse anesthetist understandably didn't understand this because this drug has been off the market for several years. And even the, uh, even the nurse anesthetist said something like, Oh, I remember reading about that at some point. And I said, that makes you feel old. No. And I just said, well, this was part of my practice for every critical care patient, every trauma patient, every open heart patient I ever took care of back in the early 2000s. Uh, but we've come this direction, you know, th- these things are gone. And so that's what I think uh, this is a comparative story to you saying like uh, these older generation, like we've forgotten all this stuff. Um and, it's, and like it's we could, I wish I could pass this stuff down to people. But yeah. the thing is, I can pass the knowledge down to people, but the drugs aren't available. They can't ever use them on a patient. They've pulled that drug off the market. Crazy. Hang on, let me take a bathroom Sam's, break for a second. Sam's going to go take a bathroom break, um, and I'll just keep on talking here. Sam is most likely going to walk out the the. Uh, uh, what direction is it? the western door? No, actually, I left. I think I left the east garage door open. So Sam, I think, is very likely going to walk out the east garage door and uh, relieve himself of some urine. Uh but the so the the, the we're only going to be on this podcast. I I don't know for maybe another fifteen twenty minutes because. The pre before we had to stop the previous recording, I think it was right at an hour. We're at 47 minutes on this second recording, which I'm going to mesh together uh, in order to keep this around two hours or two plus hours. Um, we'll shut this down soon, but there's some other topics where that we could touch upon um, with regards to what everyone's doing or not doing with COVID. Um, uh, oh my gosh. Like 
I don't know. I what what I see nowadays is I saw this meme last night. <clears throat> it was a picture of uh, a football game, uh, a NFL football game from last weekend. Uh, an overhead an aerial uh, picture. I don't know how many people were there. Seventy thousand, eighty thousand, whatever. They were all sitting shoulder to shoulder. <clears throat> and they also had a <laughs> a photo of um you know, recent concert, um a musical concert of somebody outdoors. I don't know who it was, but all the all the uh, patrons were sitting shoulder to shoulder. No distance between them. And then the third photo in the meme, what it said, your child's classroom. And it showed children with their desks six or more feet apart from each other. And then these clear plastic barriers on them as well. And if, if anyone sees this meme and does not have a guttural reaction from it. Uh, you're a piece of shit. You seriously are. You should look at this and say like, Oh my God, uh, 80 or a hundred thousand people can go to an NFL football game and sit shoulder to shoulder to one another. I don't 20 to 25,000 people can go to a music concert and sitting shoulder to shoulder with one another. But our children, our children who are not even really susceptible to this COVID still in their classrooms have to wear masks and have to have their desks pushed apart from each other. Like they can't even sit next to their friends in school and have plastic dividers between them. Like this is, it's, it's fucking insanity. I think. It's literally fucking insanity. Um, I don't know. Sam's back. And you, yeah, I want to add. <laughs> and Sam's been listening to this, I'm sure. I have been listening. It, it is insanity. And I want to throw, I'm going to throw a little bit of philosophy out here. This is where I've been. So Sam every, is a philosopher. Yeah. Anybody that know anybody that's listening, I'm sure has heard of Plato. Hmm. Plato wrote a book called The Republic. Okay. I think chapter seven, maybe, or something like that in The Republic. He, there's something called Plato's Cave. You ever heard of it, David? I have not. Okay. In Plato's Cave, there are three people in a cave that, and, and the whole point of this story is to show how it's a reference to kind of red pill, blue pill. Okay. Mm. Having, your, having your eyes opened to reality. Mm-hmm. And Plato was twenty four hundred years ago, right? Yeah, no, and that he was like ancient Greece. They were dealing with the same <clears throat> issues. Okay, in Plato's cave analogy, there are three prisoners that were born and raised in a cave, chained to the wall of a cave, being able to see only one wall of the cave, and there was a fire behind them. And it projected the shadows of what was outside in front of them. All they could see was the shadows of things. Mm-hmm. And they began to name these things. Dog, okay. cat, 
whatever walked by. Okay. So the, the allegory, they, they are seeing a projection of reality. Mm -hmm. One of the prisoners gets released and he goes outside and the sun hurts his eyes, obviously, but he begins to see dog, cat, Mm-hmm. And he sees reality for what it really is. Okay. He goes back into the cave to tell his other companions, this is really like this. This is really like that. And they think he's insane. <laughs> and they're still chained to the wall. I feel like we're living in a world where most people are still chained to the wall. And they're still seeing the shadows as these projections of reality Mm. and they're not, and they think the people that are yelling to the, you know, I would say being red pilled yelling about what reality really is and what's really right. And what something actually is that they're nuts. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because they aren't able to see the true picture and they don't want to. Yeah. And this deals with COVID. This deals with everything. We're just, the majority of the population is just seeing a projected image on a cave wall. Mm-hmm. And don't want to open their eyes to what it what that actually is. And Plato had it, Plato hit the nail on the head 2,400 years ago. And I'm being, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hitting this really, really roughly, but that was his point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how this really relates to everything, but I mean, it, it, it kind of does. Like, it's a COVID thing. Yeah. For sure. it, it, it is do you do you really want to open your eyes to what's going on and why it's going on? And if you do that and you still agree with it, okay, I can have a conversation with you. But if you open your eyes and see what's going on and why they're doing it and the reasons for why things are, I mean, why? Why? Like, yeah. like David was just talking about. Why are our children being living basically in prisons at school? That's right. Yeah. And what's the, why? It's all craziness, man. It's all a projection of something. And, and so I'm not giving a good enough, uh, giving Plato enough justice. I think everybody should maybe YouTube Plato's cave. And there's a couple <laughs> short five, six minute videos on what he meant, but it's basically about waking up. And seeing what's you know the truth, and nobody will ever know the true truth. But but the point is is that we know what's right and wrong. And with these children, particularly in school, I don't know about high school kids, but like little kids, little kids, that's ridiculous. No, why why should we be educating these little little kids, preschool kids? Mask, not mask, vaccinated, unvaccinated is crazy. Yeah, why? Like the overarching thing is not, like you were just saying, it's not why we're doing it. Why are we, what's driving us doing it? What's the What's the overarching reason? Mm-hmm. That's what worries mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So anyway, on that note, philosophizer Sam Denning here. <laughs> Check out my YouTube channel. Please uh, like and subscribe. Yeah, but no, in all seriousness, um, I would like for people to to subscribe to your channel or at least view it. There's pretty um, cool content on there. I so let me plug myself here. Uh my covid hobby has been woodworking 
and I, I actually formed this uh, LLC called Borderlands Woodworking. And, um, you know, I've had a real hard time getting this thing off the ground because uh, I think because of COVID restrictions and uh, I don't know, I, I hear from everyone that like we've had uh, delay of imports of raw materials from everywhere. We've, uh, they haven't, you know, the workforce is gone. Um, I don't know. I've heard every kind of excuse from people, but the issue is what this borderlands woodworks is. You know, I've ordered all kinds of equipment to try to do woodworking. And I'm talking about, um, you know, industrial, industrial capable, uh, table saws, uh, industrial sanders, industrial planers, industrial, uh, industrial joiners. Um, I've even ordered a sawmill, uh, you know, cause I've got, I've got property here and I've got a lot of logs or a lot of trees I could saw. Um, you know, most everything I've run into, most everything I've asked for and ordered is on back order because of labor issues or material issues. Um, I've got, you know, I've actually received a couple machineries. I've got my sander, uh, I've got a router table. I've got a killer router table. Um, I'm still waiting on uh, a joiner. I'm still waiting on like a big drum sander unit. And I'm still waiting on my freaking sawmill. Like I cannot even. When When is that supposed I, to come? I don't know now. I, I ordered this thing back in February. I actually bought it and paid for it in full in February. And uh, initially, it was supposed to come uh, second week of September, so like right now. But then I got a subsequent email saying that um, the production date for it was in was indefinite or or, or uh, uh, undetermined. I guess I think is the word they used. So nobody even knows when they're going to produce the unit that I ordered. More, uh, much less, you know, who knows when it's going to ship. So all this is up in the air of, you know, I've piled up all this, all these trees out my lawn. You know, I'm waiting to saw this stuff, but, um, I am trying to make some stuff, uh, as I can. I'm actually focusing on myself right now. I'm, I want to build a, a desk, desktop. On the tabletop. I'm still waiting on that jewelry box. I know. Dude, I can't make your jewelry box. The way I want to do the joinery on it, I don't have the tools. Like I've, Those are some of the tools I still have in order. Um, Yeah, I know I promised you a jewelry box like way back when. I still haven't. I haven't made the jewelry box for Megan. Well, I mean, you've given me a reason to not buy any more jewelry. <laughs> but no, like so that's where I am with this Borderlands uh, Woodworks stuff. Um you know, I did or I have made like a legit business out of it. Uh but I, I 
haven't been able to actually produce anything yet. Well, I want to say, can I throw in? I think throw in something, buddy. You've got you've got some of the best equipment. I do have some uh, equipment. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, I know you're wanting to, and and this might be a good idea. You're wanting to build like a wood shop, warehouse, whatever, something like a big open building with uh, to be able to. Because you're doing this in your basement, which I is unfinished, space. but you need, need space. space. You need somewhere where dust yeah. can go and not mm-hmm. create problems. Um, but you have you have the ability, in, and if anybody wants to commission David to do something, he has the ability to make some nice, nice stuff that that literally that can be passed on generation after generation. I mean, we're talking furniture and jewelry boxes and cigar. I do. Eventually I can make this stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Things that can be, you know, that are heirloom type of stuff. I mean, it's made out of real hardwood. It'll be handmade, handcrafted, and it looks great. The stuff that David's made so far, and I mean, this is a shameless plug for you, but I mean, it's truly (laughs) – Awesome. Well, no, I, uh, I, it, it's a hobby kind of, I mean, along the same lines of like manly, you know, whatever is like smelting this or, you know, I feel like they're similar, nowhere near as much money involved in melting this metal <laughs> as the woodworking, but you know, something you can say, something you can build with your hands. It's almost a forgotten art. Yes. I would agree um, with that. It is a, it's amazing. And, and, and the stuff, you know, I took some video and I'll probably put it on my YouTube channel. I took some videos of you planing both two sides of is it sassafras. Yeah, I use sassafras. And that's why I'm trying to build this desk out of, which will be in the future, uh, the desk for our um, podcast recording. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll, it'll go in the, the, the quote studio. It's, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was amazing. In the in the in the wood that you've got, I mean, you've got so yeah. many different types of wood. Well, do you remember when I started cutting into that sassafras? Do you remember what that smelled like? Oh yeah, so good. I'll never forget that. It smelled like freaking root beer candy. Oh god, right? yeah. Uh, but no, so I I appreciate your plug there, Sam, and uh, and you're right. Like I have accumulated a lot of hard wood here. Uh, I just need to be able to process it. I don't have a lot of space. So, you know, I've told Sam in the process, most of the wood I have is rough cut. Uh, I have some wood that's like uh, three sides square, but most of the wood I have is rough cut. So I've got to square all of it myself before I can ever use it for a project. And even to square it uh, on all four sides myself, that's the process. It's an ordeal. And it just, it generates a lot of sawdust, a lot of uh, excess material, a lot of waste, and like, and that's what I'm having trouble dealing with. I'm trying to evacuate all this stuff. I, you know, vacuum systems and dust collection systems and all this, um, and then and only then can I take those boards and make what I want out of them. So yeah, so Sam's Sam's right. I've got a lot of good stuff here. I've got a lot of wood already piled up i've got a lot of good ideas i do have all the i've most of the equipment i need to make stuff but i don't i have a lack of space and then what i really want to do i want to mill my own stuff that's That's what i'm waiting waiting for the 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 sawmill to come in i don't know when that's going to be 
<laughs> so I got to leave here soon to go pick up my son, but I do want to, I want to ask, um, how long, so like if you were to take a, a like an oak tree that fell in that ice storm, yeah. and it's just like a hypothetical and you wanted to mill that, you know, you wanted to put it into a couple, couple boards, how long do those boards need to, like, what is the process? Do you need to put them somewhere heated or do you need to just stick them in a dry place or what do you do? Buddy, there's lots of options there. I could mill those boards and stack them in my garage and they would probably be dry within 12 months. Um, if I had a kiln, which a kiln is just a chamber that is heated and ventilated. Sometimes they're, they even have vacuum applied. If you have a sealed kiln with vacuum applied with some heat, you can evacuate even more moisture, moisture from the board. But uh, in a kiln setting, some of these boards could be ready in, I don't know, four weeks. Wow. Uh, but I think if I just milled this stuff and set it in my garage, it would be dry in a year. Which you and, probably and could do you, that because you have so much other wood. It's not Right. Like and the, and the thing is, like, I, I mean, I, I'm not talking about doing anything in huge volume. But uh, literally what I'm going to do, I have, I have a moisture meter. It's got these two needles on the tip of it. Oh, cool. You shove it in the wood, and it measures. Basically, it's an electrical thing. It measures the resistance between the two needles, and it gives you a, uh, a measurement of the moisture in the wood. I haven't even taken it out of the package yet. I haven't, I haven't Among tried about it because thousand other things. Yeah, you? I don't know. I, I I've just had no reason to even try it yet on anything because uh, I haven't sawn anything. And the things that I have bought from people, the boards I've bought from people, I believe are already dry. Well, uh, that sassafras that you bought, it's it, it looks no. That sassafras is allegedly sixty plus years old. Holy crap! Allegedly sixty plus years old. Now I bought this. I bought that sassafras from a guy in the west end, of, west side of Charleston. He said that, uh, as far as he knew, it had been in his barn for sixty years. And this guy, I'm telling you, was eighty years old. He was on oxygen. He's an old woodworker. He just told me he he couldn't work with uh, these big boards anymore. So he so had he no reason to BS you. No, yeah, he, uh, and he, and the thing is, when so you saw me plane these boards, you know, I, you saw me saw saw them and plane them down. They're dry. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you can tell by looking at them or touching them. They're not green boards. They're dry, and yeah. So they've set. I believe this guy when he says they've sat in his barn for sixty years, and that's the difference between letting. Uh, hardwood boards set and softwood like pine set you know pine would just turn to sawdust over 60 years oh, it yeah. literally would but in uh, sassafras I don't think a lot of people work with sassafras I've not seen a lot of stuff done with sassafras but what I read about sassafras is it's very outdoor hardy it's very resistant to oxidation and the breakdown from sunlight and all that. Um, I'm just going to use it to make make a desk, like a desktop or tabletop. And so far, it looks beautiful. I mean, the the, the wood grain the wood grain's very coarse. 
I don't know if you noticed it, Sam, but I think the wood grain is probably the width of a pinky finger or a fourth finger on that. And it's and it's very dark brown. Um, I mean, I don't even know what to call the different degrees of brownness. <laughs> like, uh, But um, it's like mud colored almost. <clears throat> and um, And I bet you when I put I'll oil it up. I'll put mineral oil on it or something, and, and it'll turn even darker. Yeah, like it'll be, uh, it'll be like, <laughs> I don't know, uh, brick brown. Wow! In, in the end, I bet. I can't wait to see it. The only and what I'm waiting on now is I'm trying to get together. Actually, yeah, you may have seen the box out there. I got a mortising uh, press. I did see that. Because I need to cut some uh, mortises into... Uh, I'm going to do bread, what's called breadboard ends on this desk. And uh, breadboard ends allow for expansion and contraction of the panel that I'll create out of the other board. So the panel I'll create is these... I think I cut five or six boards that I'll glue together on edge. But those will expand and contract with temperature, right? So the breadboard ends uh, allow for that. It's it's a loose connection, if you will. I think that's the easiest way to explain it. Um, but I so I bought this mortising thing to 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 drill square holes in stuff, and I haven't got it out of the box yet because I'm pretty sure when the delivery person brought it here, they destroyed it. The box? No, I'm t- the I box was at, box. yeah yeah. It I looked asked, like somebody <clears throat> drove over it with the delivery truck uh, over and over again, yeah. right? Like the tape was torn away. There was pieces of the metal inside sticking out of it. It looked like it had been rolled over and run over by a freaking tank. And uh, I guess I have to get it out of there and see if it works in order to make a claim or not make a claim on it. I don't know. Yeah, well, I did, that happened. I ordered two two huge boxes of light bulbs, and when I got from Amazon, when I got that box in, it was crushed. I mean, it was obvious they were Oh, stuck. my God. Light bulbs crushed. That's awful. Well, Sam, um, we're, uh, we're going to wrap this up. I know you need to get going. Um, I need to get going because – I need to go uh, and have a number one and a number two. Uh, but it was good talking to you. Well, you know, I'll, we'll try to dissect this uh, with a, a little introduction. Um, to, I David, I think it was a good podcast. I do too. It, it's we, we always, all well, it's always a good podcast. Uh, but no, I, I was going to say, I'm going to try to dissect this with a little introduction, like a little typed up uh, narrative to that thing and um i'll upload this tonight and uh hopefully you know you talked about having um you talked about hanging on every uh, youtube view Mm well i hang on every freaking uh podcast listen (laughs) well i think you and i can scratch each other's backs pretty well if we can get into a rhythm we're just so inconsistent on on being able to release content i have probably 50 or 60 listens every podcast and you know, of course, I'd like to see more than that, but as long as it's consistent from one cast to the next, I'm fine with that. I think I've lost some of my people. Some of them, I think they got arrested during the January 6th riot. No, I'm, ju- I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. Right. Well, All right, on man. that note. Well, Sam, thanks for coming over. Um, always a pleasure to interview you, man. We'll talk to you later. All right.